into this service. I'd like to turn your attentions back um, to the 8th chapter of Matthew. We were there a couple of weeks ago, the last time we were here, and so we have some other things that we'd like to bring forward in, that, in, our, in those thoughts that, that we mentioned partially uh, a couple of weeks ago. Of course, just a recap of some of the things that we were trying to talk about two weeks ago um, were when the disciples got in the ship with Christ to go over to Gennesaret and the disciples and it says, well, let me just read in the 23rd verse of that 8th chapter, it says, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds, the sea, and, and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, and this is where we took our text from, or our thoughts from a couple the last time we were here, in verses 27. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? We spoke about what manner of man Jesus Christ is in calming the storms, the power that he has to calm the storms, not only the the literal storms that are out on the sea, such as they were going through here at this time, but also the storms in our life, that God has great power to intervene. He has great power to be there and to protect us, to, as you will, uh, put a hedge about us in this life. And and um, and he and he does that against the against the enemy. And we talked about those three enemies being, first of all, ourselves. Sometimes we're our own biggest enemy. And then also the enemy of this world that is against God and it is against the things that we, that we try to preach. And then also uh, the enemy of Satan, Satan that is real in this life. There's a real adversary in this life and his name is Satan, the devil. And I say it almost every time that if you really don't believe that there's a real Satan and that he's active in this life, then he's already got you in deceit. He's the author of deceit and he will have you do that and have you think that. But he's real in this life. But remember what the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It doesn't matter. I want to tell you, Satan's powerful. Uh, Satan's more powerful than we are. We can't fight against Satan. But I want to tell you, we, 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 are, we are with one that can and does fight against Satan. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He has all power against Satan. You know, James said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist him. He'll flee from you, but brothers and sisters, I don't have to remind you that if you resist the devil by the word of God and looking to the Lord and Satan resists you, that he's coming right back. (laughs) He's not done with you, 
And I want to tell you, so long as we live in this life, I want to tell you, we have those three enemies in among ourselves, the world and Satan and those things. But God is powerful. And what manner of man is he that he is able to come and calm the boisterous seas and, and the storms in our life? I want to look at some other powers of God and to see what kind of manner of man that he is. What manner of man is it that he is able to raise the dead spiritually to a life in Christ? Not by the aid or the means of the gospel or the Bible or the age or the means of the church or the preacher, but by his own means, by his own power, he raises the dead alien sinner to a life in Christ and plants the Spirit of, the, of God into his heart. You love the Lord, you have a desire of God, not because you did something that somebody told you you needed to do. You love the Lord because God in your heart and God's in your heart because He put you He put Himself into your heart when you were born again by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that does that. It's not man. Man likes to, man likes to take credit for that. But I want to tell you something dear child of God, that's all by the power of God. you remember in the 11th chapter of John? He came up to Lazarus tomb and he told the disciples you know he wasn't alone he had the disciples and Martha and Mary with him but he told the disciples some things to do roll away the stone they, he told the disciples to do what they could do they could roll away the stone and they rolled away the stone but now they couldn't bring him to a life Amen. they couldn't wait they couldn't bring him out of that dead state and he was dead you remember they said, it's been four days now, surely he stinketh by now. In other words, his body was beginning to deteriorate. The Lord, that, that doesn't stop the power of God. And the Lord said, roll away the stone. And then the Lord said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. It was a passive, not an active, it was a passive obedience. Passive. He had he had no say in it whatsoever. And then he told the disciples, take off the, the handkerchief, take off the cloth from his face. You see, he told the disciples to do something else. But that wasn't going to give him life. He already had life. It's the Lord that comes to us in our dark and alienated state and gives us life. And I tell you what the preacher does by the power of God. He unveils his face so he can see the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done. That's the power of the disciple. That's the power of the preacher. He can do that, but I want to tell you what. He can only do that by the power of God to those that have already been quickened by the Spirit of God in the new birth. You can go out there and preach all day long if you want to the dead alien center. And you just as well be going across the road over here and trying to holler at these, at these grave sites and telling these children of God to come up out of the ground. You're going to have just as much chance of doing that. But I want to tell you, He's got that power. You remember He said over in John 5, 25, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Now somebody may say, well, I believe that's talking about the, the, the resurrection of these bodies out of the grave. Well, let's just go down a few more verses to verse 28, where the Lord says, 
Marvel not, at, not, marvel not that I said this. He said, don't marvel at this, what I said in, in verse 25. He said, he said, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming when the dead shall hear uh, the voice of the Son of God. And, and when, when the dead... Sh- Let me go and grab that over in John 5, 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice. See, now there's the resurrection. He says the hour is coming. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. But what does he say in John 5.25, the one that we first brought up? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is. See, we're talking about the new birth. The hour is coming, and now is. That hour has been going on since the time of Adam. And now is. It's not just the hour is coming, it's the hour is coming and now is. You see, God's borning again His people all through time. The hour is coming and now is when the dead, who's the dead? The dead in Christ. The dead alien sinner. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. It doesn't say they shall hear the word of the Son of God. It says they shall hear the voice of the Son of God. You see, this is without the means of the Bible. This is without the means of the church or the Scriptures or the Gospel. This is God Himself. Ours coming now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear will have given opportunity to live. doesn't say that, does it? And they that hear shall live. You see, we're talking about an all-sovereign God that has all power. What manner of man is this? That He can come to the dead alien sinner and quicken him to a life in Christ. He can come to the one that is ungodly, that is out of the way, that doesn't desire the things of God. When He said that over in... Over in uh, and, uh, we'll, we'll get that here in a minute. Um, well... But he's got power to raise the dead. There's a scripture I was trying to think of and it's not coming to me right now. Over in Ephesians. Let's go over to Ephesians. And let's read something about that power. The power that God has uh, the power that God has to quicken us from the dead. He says in the second verse, or in the second chapter, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Quicken means brought alive. Brought to life from the dead. And you hath he quickened. Who's quickened? God is quickened. Who were, what was your state? You were dead in trespasses and in sins. Wherein in time past, before this, you walked according to the course of the world, 
according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among, among whom also we all had our conversation, that's talking about our life, our lifestyle, our livelihood. We all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, Ye are saved. And I want to tell you something about grace. There's no works that you can mix with grace. It's either all grace or it's all works. Paul said you can't mix the two over in Romans. You can't have grace and works. It's either all by the grace of God or it's all by works. And I want to tell you what. If it's all... If, 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 if going to heaven is all by our works, I want to tell you we're all hell bound today. We're going to hell. So you better enjoy it while you can in this life. But I want to tell you what, dear child of God, that's not, our, that's not my concern this morning. Is that yours? That's not my concern, Brother Justin. My, what, I'm, what I'm trusting in is not my words, not my deeds, but I'm trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And I'm trusting in His grace. I believe God's Word. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I have the Spirit of God in my heart. And heaven is my home. I look forward to that day. Uh, you know, where I can go, uh, you know, you know, people have uh, the little sign in their house that says, Home sweet home. You know, one of the best things about a vacation is getting back home to me. <laughs> Just to get back home and get comfortable. I'm looking forward to going to a place that I can call home sweet home, but I ain't even been there yet. But there's a day I'm going to be there. And I know what heaven, I know just a little bit about what heaven's like because He gives us just a taste of heaven here on earth. When we come into His kingdom and we're made to rejoice and our heart is made to flow over with the love of God and the love for brothers and sisters in the church and we just feel the Spirit of God. And if it be just God's will, but just for a little while, the cares and the things of this world are in the background and we don't even notice them at the time. I want to tell you that's just a piece of the kingdom of heaven, dear child of God, but there's a day coming that we'll go home to be with the Lord. But until that day, is we can, we can draw assurance in the Spirit of God, in the manner of God, that He has the power to give us life. You have warring in your members. You have a warring in your body. Paul said over in Galatians, the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary, buttonheads. These two are contrary, one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. You know, a greatest, great evidence that the Spirit of God is within your heart is you got one, you got, you got one, uh, you know, the old Adam nature's pulling you one way, and the Spirit of God is trying to pull you the other way. And we got choices we can make in this life, in which way we're going to go. And we'll pay for those choices if we follow the Spirit of God. We'll reap what we sow. But I want to tell you, if you follow the flesh, you're going to reap what you sow there too. Either the blessings of God or the chastening hand of God in this life. But what a great evidence it is when we have that, uh, uh, when we have that warring in our members that the Spirit of God is in our hearts. 
Listen to what he says. You want to talk about the power of God in the new birth in Ephesians? Let's stay right here in Ephesians. <clears throat> he says here that the, in the 18th verse in the first chapter, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, <clears throat> enlightened, in the Greek means photozo. It's where we get the it's where we get the word picture. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. You know what Paul's trying to say? Paul's simply saying in today's language, I want you to get the picture. I want to get you, I want you to be enlightened on something. I want, I want, I want you to get the picture on something here. What's he going on to say? That the eyes of our of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And this is the one we want to look at in the 19th verse. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, comma, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead? That says there's enough preaching right in there just in those two verses alone. What is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, comma? Notice that. We're not believing about the working of His mighty power. It says, what is the greatness of His power to usward who believe according in agreement with the working of His mighty power? What He's saying there. It is His mighty power that we're able to believe in Him. What is the greatness of His power to us who believe? We believe according in agreement with the working of His mighty power. And what power is that? It's the same power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him in His own right hand in the heavenly places. <clears throat> Now, if you want to see what that power is, if you want a further definition of that power, what is that power that raised Him from the dead? And then we can get a clearer understanding of the power that He's talking about with us. Go over to, let me go over to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, listen here, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened how? By the Spirit. If I had time this morning, I would stay on this verse and I would prove to you by these two very verses that you're born again, that you believe in the Lord by the Spirit of God. Not by anything else. It is the Spirit of God that quickens Jesus Christ and it is that same Spirit that quickens you and quickens God's people from a death to a life in Christ spiritually. It's the same power of God. <coughs> What's he say over in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. People say, well, see, there you go, brother. You've got to believe. You've got to believe. Know that <coughs> let's don't lose all sense of English when we go to the Bible. We're good at pronunciation, and I get corrected so many times in my grammar and my English. I'm still having, I'm a long ways from mastering the English language, let me tell you. Um, but, but, 
you know, but uh, but but then they'll just lose. We, we, they lose all sense when they come to the Bible. Whosoever believeth doesn't mean to believe or in order to believeth. Eth is the same word that we use today. Whosoever believes, with well, the ends with an s. Whosoever believes, that's present perfect tense. What that simply means, brothers and sisters, is this person is already in the state of believing. He already, whosoever believeth. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in Him, same thing. That scripture in John 3.16, brothers and sisters, is not telling you to believe in Him. It's a comfort to the one that already is believing in Him. That believeth is a present tense. When the when 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 the disciple or when, when the scribes and the Pharisees went to Christ and, and they murmured against him because he eateth with publicans and sinners, eateth with publicans and sinners. Does that mean he was about to go eat with them, or does that mean they saw him in the very act of eating? He was eating with the with the publicans and the sinners. That eth is present perfect tense. It's showing that that is already going on. Not something you have to do, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> For but there. So what he says over in First John five and one: Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is that means already. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You're already born of God. You've already had the exceeding greatness of His power to usward, <clears throat> according to the. Who, who has the, uh, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us for? Who believe according to the working of his mighty power. We believe in the Lord this morning. If you have a belief in the Lord, it's not because some man gave it to you. It's because Jesus Christ gave it to you. Now, there's a further believing in the gospel. We can't leave out the gospel, but... It, but it certainly doesn't have anything to do with the power of God in the new birth, nor the, nor the power of God in resurrecting these bodies out of the grave, nor the power of God in bringing us into eternal glory one day. But it's got, there is power in the gospel, and the power in the gospel is today for the child of God that's already born again by the Spirit of God, and it gives us help and comfort and assurance in many of the things that we've already spoken about uh, this morning. So we're thankful uh, to understand... Um, what the disciples say over in John chapter 6. I'm not going to finish this sermon again today. Uh, in John chapter 6, what does it say over there? <clears throat> he says, uh, what might we do, to, What might the disciples ask Christ, what, what can we do to do the works of God? They ask Jesus Christ this. What can we do to do the works of God? Do you understand what kind of question that is? It's a question that a lot of people would answer wrong today. They would say, well, this is the work of God that I'm here to, I'm here to save you. Me. That, that's not the work of God. <clears throat> what, do we do? what must we do to do the works of God? You know what Jesus Christ said? This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He hath sent. Wh whose work is it? It's the work of God. Not, not the work of anybody else. It's the work of God. God. God's done it. Don't take glory away from God and give it to a fallen man. Glorify God for His 
past and everything that He's promised to do in the future, brothers and sisters. That glorifies Him. When we put all the work on Him, when we, when we look to Him, He has power to raise the dead. What manner of man is this? That He would come to us. And that he he would raise the that he would raise us from a dead state those that were against the Lord. What about another thing we want to look at? What about his manner of love? Over in First John and chapter three and verse one, it says, "Behold, what manner of love!" You remember they said, "What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves would obey his voice?" Over in First John chapter three and verse one. He says, what manner of man is this? Behold, what manner of man is this? Well, see, now I'm getting confused with the other one. What manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us? What manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? What manner of love is that? Oh, I want to tell you what. Herein is true love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, John said. Herein, you want to know what true love is? It's not us loving God, it's God loving us. us. Because He goes on further to say, we love Him because He first loved us. We wouldn't have the, the the ability nor the desire to love God had God not loved us first and put the Spirit of God in our hearts. What manner of love is this? What manner of love that He would come to us and love us with an everlasting love? He said over in Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. He's drawn us to Him in the new birth. When He says over there in John 6, No man can come unto me except the Father which sent me. Draw Him and I will raise Him up again at the last day. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, that drawing is not a wooing enticing. That drawing is not singing another verse of come sweetly Jesus. That drawing is not, is not trying to encourage somebody to do something. I want to tell you that drawing is, is when, when, my, when your parents told you to go draw water out of the well. You didn't stick your head over that well and say, Water, would you please come up? Water, please come up. Water, I'm going to give you one more chance to come up. You know, that's what the preacher in this world wants to say. I'm going to give you another chance. you got another chance today, dear friend or sin, uh, sinner friend. Now I want to tell you what, dear child of God, what that drawing is, is when the Apostle Peter had said that he drew his sword and smote the, the, the priest's ear off. Did, did the Apostle Peter say, uh, come, out of this, come out of this scabbard sword, come out of this? No, he, he drew it out. Forcefully, he drew it out. That, that didn't come out by itself. That water doesn't come out of the well by itself, brothers and sisters. You know that. You've got to draw it out. No man can come unto me except the Father which sent me. Draw him. I want to tell you what the Lord did in the new birth because of His great love wherein He hath loved us. He drew, He drug us, if you will, to Him. He drug us. Those that were disobedient, those that were against God, uh, those, I'm talking about me, I'm talking about you this morning, dear child of God, that were out of the way, that were in enmity 
with God, didn't desire the things of God, were sinful and ungodly, unholy and unjust. Yet He came to us where we were at, not when we were ready, not when we said, well, I've just got a few more years to sow these wild oats, and then I'll give myself over to the Lord. No, I want to tell you something. The Lord comes to you at His, at His time, sometime between conception and death. You don't have to worry or fret about that. Then why is that? Because He, yea, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I want to tell you, He's not going to lose one brothers and sisters. What manner of love is this? What manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? Whoa, I want to tell you what a great verse that is to think about. Uh, When you ponder and you see within yourself your own corruption, your own depravity, and yet to have a hope of what God's Word says, that you are an heir of God and joint heirs of Christ. You're a son of God today. Because of His great love wherewith He hath loved you. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is that we can have that joy, that we can have that peace. Not only does He have power to calm the boisterous storms, to power to raise the dead, not only does He have uh, displayed His great power in His love for us, but He has power to pardon sins in this life. He has power to pardon sins in this life. You know, when you talk about pardoning sins, there's a difference in pardoning pardoning sins and just there's a difference in being pardoned or justified. Now, when you're justified, these are these are court terms. When you're justified, you're declared innocent, right? So if you had anything on your record, it's 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 done away with. It's innocent. You were you're you're not guilty of that of that. Pardoning's different, though. You see, the president or some distinguished somebody in, in a political office has the power to pardon somebody. They got the power to pardon and to bring somebody out of jail, right? <clears throat> they may be very well been guilty of what they did, but they're pardoned. They're allowed to come back out and join society again. But you know, one thing isn't taken away from them, and that's their rap sheet. When you're pardoned, you're set free, but you still carry around your record with you so long as you live. Right? Well, I want to tell you, in the courtroom of heaven, we've been justified. The slate has been wiped clean. But I want to tell you something about what we need in this life. We need the pardoning grace of God in this life. Because in this life, God will forgive us. But I still have recollection of all my sins. How about you? I still have a recollection, not all my sins. I can't know them all. But I have a rec- I still carry those around with me. And you carry those around with you. And that's your rap sheet. But you know what God's done? He's pardoned you in this life by His great power. What did He say over in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9? Over in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we still got a rap sheet. But He can cleanse our minds and our hearts from many of those sins so that we're able to worship Him freely. If we confess our sins, though, if something, there's an if, there's a condition there. He is faithful and just. Now, you may be in a strait, and somebody may be wanting to help you out, but they're unable to help you out. Or it may be the other way that somebody is able to help you out, but is not wanting to help you out. The Lord is different though. The Lord is wanting to, and the Lord is able to. Confess your sins. If you confess your sins to me, the Lord is faithful and just. Faithful, He's going to do it, and He's the justifier. He's able to do it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know how many times the devil tries to beat us over the head with canceled sin? That the devil just beats us over the head with sin that God's already canceled. That God's already forgiven. He told the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, neither do I condemn thee. Go, in the 8th chapter of John, neither do I condemn thee. Where are those thy condemners? I have none. And Christ said, neither do I condemn thee. Then he says, go and sin no more. You see, we ought to be encouraged to try to live a life better than what the past has been. Whatever the past has been. Our future goal should always be better, or striving to be better as Christians, as, as a child of God, as, as a follower of Christ. But isn't it a wonderful thing, brothers and sisters? Isn't it what, what, manner of, what manner of power He has and that He can come to us if we go to Him first? And we confess our sins, not just in general, but in particular. I believe this is, these are particular sins he's talking about in 1 John. That he can bring us back. Because in 1 John chapter 1 is all talking about fellowship. That we can come back into fellowship with God if we confess our sins. Because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen to what he says over in Isaiah 55. And verse 7. In Isaiah 55 and verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his, his thoughts. Now he's talking about the child of God here. We can be, he's calling them wicked and unrighteous in this life and, and how they're living. And let him return unto the Lord. And He will have mercy upon Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. Thanks be to God. What, 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 what manner of man is this that would exercise the power of pardoning sins upon us, that would come to us? and He's there in heaven now, mediating for us. First John says there is one mediator. In, fourth, in the fourth chapter, there is one mediator 
between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. God stands there mediating for us now in this life when we come, when we come to the throne of grace. When we see our sins and we want to beg forgiveness. Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is there as the mediator between God and man. He said over in the ninth chapter of, of uh, Hebrews, in the 24th verse, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now to appear in the presence of God for He's not appearing in the presence of God, brothers and sisters, that we might go to heaven. He paid that price on the cross. Judgment was executed on the cross. The price of our sins were executed on the cross and we have been declared righteous. But I want to tell you, in this life, we still have a sin nature. We still go against God. And Jesus Christ is our mediator that stands between us and God, mediating when we go to the throne of grace. When we're praying to the Lord and asking forgiveness. Not only that, not only does He have power to calm boisterous storms and to raise the dead, not only is His power shown in His manner of love and the power of pardoning sins that He has in this life, but He's got power to save. And when I say He's got power to save, I'm talking about eternally. There, there is a timely salvation. We won't get into that today. <clears throat> but the Lord saves us now. In this life, there's a timely salvation. But the salvation I'm talking about is an eternal salvation. And God has saved us. <clears throat> and the Bible declares what our state is. The Bible declares who we are over in Hebrews 10 and 14. But this man in the 13th verse, in the 12th verse, but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sins forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath what? Perfected forever them that are sanctified. <clears throat> he hath perfected for how long? Forever. You have been perfected not just for a time being, not just until you mess up again or you, or, or you sin again. You have been in the eyes of God <clears throat> through the blood of Jesus Christ to this man who had offered himself without spot or without blemish. You have been in the eyes of God in the portals of heaven. You have been perfected forever. You know what that means? It means you can't apostatize. You're not gonna. You're not gonna lose your your place in heaven. If you, you're not gonna lose your place in heaven, I'm not gonna. 
I don't have time to chase rabbits this morning. Um, but so you, it says you've been you've been perfected over in Titus chapter two. <clears throat> In verse four, in, in verse fourteen, not only have you been perfected, but listen to what he says here <clears throat> in the thirteenth verse: looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Not only, dear child of God, have you been perfected, but you have been purified. You've been purified through the saving blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has purified us on the cross at Calvary. In Ephesians in Ephesians 1 and 7. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 and 7. It says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Forgiveness. We've been forgiven. We've been perfected. We've been purified. We've been forgiven. And Hebrews 9 and 12, well, we could go over. Hebrews, we'll go to Hebrews 9 and 12. And it says there, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place having obtained past tense. He entered in once into the holy place. When did Jesus Christ enter in once into the holy place? It was when He ascended back into heaven. It says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place having obtained Again, simple English. Obtained is past tense, is it not? Having obtained what? Eternal redemption for us. He's already obtained it. And that redemption is eternal. So we can see that our Heavenly Father has saved us and is saving for us. We've been perfected, we've been purified, we've been forgiven, and we've been redeemed. He's done all of that for us. All of that is past tense, by the way. All of that is what's already happened. Our sins have been purged. When He had had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down. On the right hand of God. We could go on and on with the state that you are in in the eyes of God in the portals of heaven. And when the Lord comes back, brothers and sisters, He's not, he's not coming back with a big long, long stroll and you're going to have to give some account to your sins. Because <clears throat> He says over in the 12th chapter of John, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, talking about Christ, Christ, Christ is talking here, and I, if I be lifted up, lifted up where? Lifted up on the cross. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. He said, now is the judgment of this world. When was the judgment of that world? The judgment of that world was when he bled and shed his blood and died on Calvary. 
Calvary's cross. That was then the judgment of the world. What world are you talking about? The world of God's elect. All those that He loved with an everlasting love. What manner of man is this? That He'd have that great a love for us. That He's with us now in this life. <clears throat> that He comforts us in this life. That, that he, we can go to the throne of grace and find pardoning sins. And that He has saved us with an eternal salvation. What manner of man is this? God bless you. I appreciate the time.